Thank you for listening to Franklin City Church's Sermon Podcast. For more information on Franklin City Church, please check us out at www.franklincitychurch.com. Today's reading comes from uh, the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eye and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate of it. And she also gave some to her husband and he ate of it. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. The Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Please be seated. Good to have you here this morning. Well, last Sunday, 26 people were killed at First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs, Texas, and several of them were children. Back in June of 2015, nine people were killed at a prayer meeting in Charleston, South Carolina. In October of 2012, a prayer leader was killed by a former church employee. In March of 2009, a pastor was shot at point-blank range. In July of 2008, two people were killed and seven injured at a youth event in Tennessee. In December of 2007, a man killed two people in one church and then went to another church and killed two people in Colorado. In August of 2007, three people were killed at a church in Missouri. In May of 2006, a woman was killed in the church over a domestic issue. In April of 2005, a former church security guard was shot at the same church that he had worked. And in March of 2005, seven people were killed at a church in Brookfield, Wisconsin. And I could go on and on and on. So the question this morning is, how do we make sense of these tragic events and many more around the world? And the answer is this to know and understand the Word of God. That's the only way you can make sense of these types of events. Jesus said in John 16, in the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, be of good courage. Take heart, I've overcome the world. And then the Apostle John said in his first letter, chapter five, verse 14, he says, that faith that you have in Christ allows you to overcome the world as well. And then in 2 Timothy 3, Paul says this, but understand this, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. We are living in the last days. We have difficulties. 
For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then later on he says in that same chapter, indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Today in Genesis chapters three through 11, we'll see why these things are true. It's called the fall of mankind. Would you pray with me? Father, I just pray that today your word would come to life, that you'd help us to clearly understand the fall and its consequences and the fallout of the fall. But I pray too, Lord, that you'll show us your faithfulness within the fallout. And that just as we have to live in a world where these tragedies happen, that our mind will be set on the things above, that we will look forward to that day when not only the penalty of sin is covered but the, and the power of sin is taken care of, but we're free from the presence of sin. And Lord, we look, we look forward to that glorious day. But I pray, Father, that today, as we look at the fall, as we look at all of these things that happened as a result of man's disobedience to you, that we will see how faithful you are, God, to reach down your hand to pick us up time and time and time again because of our faith, Lord, that you have given to us, protected in heaven, guarded. These things are a secure inheritance that we have as followers of Christ, and I pray, Lord, that we'll experience that joy today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you will, open up to the first book of the Bible, Genesis, chapter 3. You might remember that a few weeks ago, uh, I covered this first message in the series we're calling The Story, uh, which was on creation. And after God had created uh, everything, after the sixth day, he looked at it and said, it's very, very good. God was pleased with his creation. And in the description of man and woman being created in chapter 2, a couple of verses that God shared with, with Adam in verse 16 of chapter 2, he says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of, the tree of, the, of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And we saw in the reading this morning that David gave in, the, in chapter 3, the first 13 verses, we saw that take place. Adam and Eve chose to disobey God and to eat of the forbidden fruit. If you look at verse 6 in chapter 3, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And then skip ahead to verse 8, chapter 3, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. These verses detail the fall of mankind. Why, why the word fall? Well, because they fell from grace. They fell from a, a right relationship and standing before God. As a matter of fact, they, instead of walking with God in the cool of the day in the midst of the garden as they had done, they hid themselves. Sin had made a separation between a holy God and now a sinful fallen people, and they recognized it. 
Their bodies weren't pure and innocent anymore. They were corrupt, and so they made fig leaves to try to cover up that corruption. And as a result of that, that day, all of us as Adam is, is our representative in the flesh, and so as we are born in this world, we're born with that same sin nature that they inherited that day when they disobeyed the Lord. Well, the fall has a fallout. That's what I want to look at here this morning in the first part of this message, is to consider what is the fallout? What are the consequences of Adam and Eve's sin? So I'm going to cover several chapters here in this message and just point out a few verses to you along the way. So if you look in, in chapter 3 at verse 14, Devin read up through verse 13, we're going to look at some of the promised consequences that God gave to the serpent and to Satan and to the woman and to the man. Verse 14 says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And then he speaks to Satan, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. Can any ladies give a testimony to that this morning? I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. There's going to be domestic disputes and issues and wanting each, each man and woman, each husband and wife, wanting their own way, and there's going to be conflict. And then to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, and I could talk more about that line, but wisdom tells me, just keep reading. So I'm going to just keep reading. Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, I keep seeing this word pain come up, in pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Which is why Sharon and I don't believe in, in dusting around our house because you're, you, know, you might be dusting somebody else there. Well, we dust once in a while. So those were the promised consequences. Now, also, we have, as a result of this, the fallout from the fall produced a murder. Chapter 4, we read about the two sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. If you look at verse 3, it says, In the course of time, Cain uh, brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Why? We don't know, but he didn't. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. In other words, sin is ready to swallow you up. So be on your guard and overcome it. Don't let it overcome you. And then verse eight. 
Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. So we have these promised consequences, and then we also have the first two sons of Adam and Eve, one killing the other. Some of the fallout from the fall is that sins are passed along from one generation to the next. Uh, Throughout my life, when Sharon and I began to have children and temptation would come, one of the ways that God helped me to avoid a lot of temptation is to remind me that my children are watching all the time. They're, They're learning from me. And, and, and many times, just God used that thought that do I want to pass a certain sin, a thought sin, a words, actions, do I want to pass that down to my son and daughters? And I'd say, no, Lord, I don't want to do that. But that's part of the fallout. Many times, without Christ in a person's life and overcoming the fallout of the fall, we continue to pass along sins from one generation to another. Well, the third thing I see here in these chapters is increased evil. So after Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve had more children and the population began to increase. So when you jump over to chapter six now, we come to the account of Noah. Look at verse uh, five, verses five through seven, because we see sin increasing on the earth. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Sin was so bad at this point, Wickedness, evil intentions were just overtaking the world. And God looked down and said, that's not the very good creation that I created. But it's part of the fallout of the fall. And so later on, we'll, we'll look at uh, Noah. But the, the fourth point I want to make about fallout is that uh, there was this worldwide flooding then that God brought. Increased evil, and God said, I need to wipe it out. I need to cleanse the earth. And so if you look at chapter 7, verse 11 and 12, talks about the consequence, this part of the fallout was the flood. So in verse 11, um, in the seventh chapter, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month on the 17th day, do you ever notice how God's word is so precise? I mean, he could have just said, well, in in time, in due time, or he could have just left it off with the 600th year, but God gets very precise, and God is very precise. His word is very particular. He doesn't leave a lot of things to chance or for us to guess what his will is. He's very clear in indicating what, what he desires and what's best for us, and he's very clear in terms of the things that are mentioned. Uh, you know, in archaeology and names and places and dates, uh, the more people discover things around the world, the more it just verifies that the word of God is true down to the, the very last word. So in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, 
On that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. It's not just rain coming down, it's water coming earth from below the surface of the earth to create that much water on the earth that had, that had to be what happened. And the rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Now go over to verse 19 in that same chapter. Chapter 7, verse 19. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. That's over 22 feet. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died, except for Noah and his family. Worldwide flooding. Have you noticed lately that there seems to be more catastrophes around the world? You know, whether it's, it's, you know, hurricanes or tornadoes or, you know, all those kinds of things. Just seems like they're, they're increasing, in my mind at least. And that's part of the fallout from the fall. And the last thing I'll talk about is that after Noah comes on the scene and his three sons, they quickly begin to multiply and fill the earth. And so a few generations later, we come to chapter 11 of Genesis. So if you'll turn there. And this is the account of the Tower of Babel. Verse 1 in chapter 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, Babylon. And they settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, listen to these words, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to, the, to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, one evil, wicked people, by the way, but they're one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech." So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the, all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the whole earth. And so we have confusion, disunity, division, and uh, they were, it, was, it was a mess. <laughs> Part of the fallout from the fall. Have you noticed in our world today that there seems to be a little bit of confusion and disunity and people moving from one place to the other because of war and dictators and different things happening? The world is in bad shape. And the reason is because we live on a fallen planet among fallen leaders with all of us being part of that, that fall having that fallen image in each of us. 
So we have consequences, promised consequences that are taking place. We have murders, we have evil, catastrophes, worldwide catastrophes, and a lot of confusion and disunity. I mean, it's depressing even to turn the news on these days. Part of the fall. Well, you know, we could get pretty sad about that this morning. <laughs> it's like, well, thanks, Pastor. Great, encouraging message. Really appreciate it. But you know, there's another aspect to the fall and its fallout, and it's the fall and God's faithfulness. And see, that's where your mind has to be set. That's what makes the difference between living as Eeyore or Debbie Downer or somebody who doesn't have any hope for the future. We should have a lot of hope for the future. Not because of the world situation, not because of our own struggles, but because of God's faithfulness. So let's go back through these chapters and take a look at God's faithfulness a little bit, okay? So go to chapter three. We see God's faithfulness in chapter three and verse 15, where he begins to rescue us, and the, fall, and the rescue is promised here in verse 15. Speaking to Satan, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. There's gonna be a battle between mankind and the forces of evil. And between your offspring, demons and, and other aspects of, of Satan's domain, and her offspring, which is singular, meaning a particular offspring, because the offspring that's being talked about now is Jesus. And so in the next line it says, he shall bruise your head, Satan. Jesus shall render a death blow to you, Satan. And we see that at the cross death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Christ and his ultimate return where Satan will be taken care of forever. And then besides that, look at verse 21 in this chapter. Uh, Adam and Eve had tried to make loincloths. That wasn't, a, that, wasn't a, that wasn't the right type of covering. God says uh, in verse 21, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Now, in order, in order to make clothing and covering from an animal, the first thing that has to happen is that animal has to be killed and blood has to be shed. So, but God began to picture this promised offspring, this redeemer, this one that would come and would crush Satan and sin and death will be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, whose ultimate, his blood will be shed that we might be brought to God. And so God gives us a picture of what he's about to do way back in Genesis chapter three. You see, God, in my mind, I don't think God leaves us hanging very long in a, in a tough situation. If you're, if you're in a close relationship with him, if you're in the word, if your mind has been renewed in the truth, your faith then in God, his spirit in you then can begin to lift you up even in the midst of crisis or difficulty or catastrophe because God's always there. And his presence, his promises, his power, those things always overcome anything that Satan in this world has to throw at you. And that's the good news here this morning, okay? Can't somebody say amen to that? Well, thank you. I hate to preach and say amen to myself. I don't know, it just seems arrogant. But anyway, the next thing that I see here in terms of God's faithfulness is that he provides the line of promise. So 
Cain killed Abel. Cain sent off as a fugitive. He's wandering the earth. But God gives Adam and Eve another son. Look at chapter five, verse one. This is the book of the generations of Adam. These are the things that are going to happen in the future. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. Look at verse three. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image, Adam's image, and named him Seth. So God provides a line of promise. Yes, Cain killed Abel. Cain's lost and wandering around, but God provides another son. He provides that line of promise for this promised one mentioned back in chapter three, verse 15, to come through that line. So you notice that several generations then come from Seth, and so finally, uh, in verse 28 and 29, we see where it leads, where this line leads to. Chapter five, verse 28. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. And so now then, in chapter six through nine, we see God's covenant promise to Noah, and not only to Noah, but to the entire earth. And I had sort of lost track of that point as I studied this in the last couple weeks. So uh, go to verse um, eight, chapter six, verse eight talking about this covenant, this agreement contract that God's making with Noah. So everything is bad on the earth. Evil has increased. Men are constantly thinking of evil things and carrying out their evil intentions of their heart. God says, I'm gonna destroy everybody. But look at verse eight. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Even in the midst of a world that's falling apart, God always has a remnant. God always has people that say, you know, Lord, you're more important to me than the things of this world because the things of this world are passing away. But my relationship with you is forever. And it is reserved in heaven and it's kept for you and it's guarded. It's secure. Nothing can take us from the palm, the hand of the Father. So Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And these are the generations of Noah Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, not perfect, but blameless. Noah walked with God. You know, if I had two things I'd want written on my tombstone, one would be Jesus loved him and he did his best to walk with God. Sharon, just jot, jot this down. On my tombstone, but Jesus loved him, and he did his best to walk with God. That's all, that's all I need, sweetie. Don't even worry about the dates and, you know, birth, and to just put that, put that down. Oh you've, oh, you've already got it? Okay, great, wonderful. All right, so go down to verse 17 here now. More on the covenant. Chapter 6, verse 17. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you. 
In other words, the fallout of the fall can be all around us, including things within us. And we know that through Christ, he wants to establish a covenant with us in agreement. And because of his faithfulness, because he will keep our faith, and he is the one that makes us secure, and he is the one, and I love that song, man. He is the one that will reach down when we're in the water and grab us and lift us up to security and safety. I sometimes tell the story of a dad and a son who are out fishing and the son falls out of the, out of the boat. And the son reaches up from the water and the dad reaches down from the boat. And I always ask the question, whose strength do you think will pull that son up into the boat? It's not the son's strength. It's the father's strength. That's how safe and secure we are in the arms of Christ. In those verses in John chapter 10 where it says, you know, no one can snatch you out of my hand and no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And I like to just picture that, that I am in the center of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit right there. And I am safe and I am secure because it's all of God. He initiated that faith and gave me faith to believe and he's the one that's doing the keeping, not me. That's the only way you can be confident, brothers and sisters. If you're confident based on your own efforts and your own ability to follow the Lord, you're in bad shape. Well, you might be in good shape. You might not just enjoy life quite as much, though. So just think about that. And then go to chapter 9, because after Noah and his family are in the ark over a year, yes, you have all the animals, all their noises, all of their stuff, and you're in the boat over a year, they finally get out. And so look at chapter 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Those are the same words that God said to Adam and Eve. Multiply, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then go to verse 8. This explains the covenant just a little bit more. God's promise to Noah and to the earth, all right? Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the field with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all generations. I've set my bow, I've set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So there may be local flooding, but there will never ever be another worldwide flood. God has promised and he is faithful. Well, the next message I'm going to speak about God's faithfulness through his covenant with Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. 
So if you want to prepare for that, just read the rest of Genesis in the next few weeks, and whenever Grant lets me step up again, we'll go into that. But as, as I'm going to close this message, and you realize that when I say close, I'm still not just a minute or two out, right? It's, it just means that we're, we've gotten to the top of the mountain, and then we're heading down a little bit. Just to, I didn't want you to get antsy like you're going to get up in the next minute. So turn to Romans chapter 5, because I want you to see a summary, because you know this is several chapters I've read it a few times and thought about it over the last few weeks, but you're just maybe getting it for the first time. You're thinking, wow, I wish I should, I should have read those chapters. So just know next message is the rest of Genesis. So now you can read that and get ready. But in chapter five of Romans, and this is where the New Testament and the Old Testament, how they work together, you know, how they fit one another. You'll have a teaching in the Old Testament and then you'll have doctrine or you'll have a, a story, uh, a narrative in the Old Testament, characters. And then you get to the New Testament and you have straight truth, straight doctrinal teaching that supports what God has said and given visible evidence to in the Old Testament. So just look at how this summarizes what we're talking about in terms of the fall, the fallout, and God's faithfulness, all right? Start with verse 12. By the way, you should memorize these verses today. Therefore, Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, that's the fallout, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. We all just followed our, our, the head, our representative, Adam. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, talking about the law through Moses, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. If you want to talk more about those verses, see me later. Next verse. But the free gift, free gift of salvation, is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by that grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification, being right with God. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, okay, here's, here's a, if you just want to memorize one verse, I think this will be your verse. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, that's Christ, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is good news this morning. Yes, we have Adam and we have the fall, but we have Christ and we have life and righteousness, and justification, and peace, and adoption, and all of those things, ultimately glorification. 
Now go to chapter 8, because since, since I pointed out that whole thing with, with uh, God making a covenant with Noah and with the animals and with the earth, it's just interesting to see the summary through these verses in Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 18. So Paul says to the Romans, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's us. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons. In other words, that full redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what, is, what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. In other words, creation is waiting to be set free from its corruption, from the futility. We have the first fruits, first fruits of that life through our faith in Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit. But creation groans. And folks, the older I get, the more I groan in this body. Excited about that heavenly, spiritual, eternal body that one day I will receive. And my knees will be good and my back will not hurt and I won't grow weary. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. But it says we have to wait patiently. <sighs> All right, how does this, how's this end up? Go to Revelation. See, I'm taking you from Genesis to Revelation this morning. This is the end of the story. So we saw creation, we focused on the fall, we looked at the rescue that was coming through Christ and that we have experienced, and now we're looking at the future what this restoration in Christ is going to look like. So go to verse 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And then verse four, good verse. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, that we read about in Genesis chapter three, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and they're true. And he said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the springs of the water of life without payment, without cost. 
All you have to do is be thirsty and come to Jesus and he'll give you life. The one who conquers will have all this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. Do you know why God has to wipe away every tear? Because up to that point, we have them. I mean, the fallout from the fall is not all that fun at times. Anybody had any pain in your life? Shed any tears? Things that you grieve about? Yeah, we all do. It's okay to cry. It's okay to shed tears. It's okay to grieve. But remember, God's gonna wipe it all away. In the midst of your grieving and your pain, be like creation, patiently wait for that total release and freedom from the fallenness of this world. It's coming. Chapter 22, starting with verse three. I'll close with this, and I really will close with this. No longer will there be anything accursed. Remember the curses back in Genesis three? At that point, there's no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and its servants will worship him. They will see his face. Can you imagine that? We'll see the Lord's face, and his name will be on our foreheads. And night will be no more, and they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servant servants what must soon take place. And behold, I'm coming soon. I'm coming quickly. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And I'll just close by saying you're blessed when you have the word of God tucked in your heart because whatever fallenness you have to overcome, in Jesus you're more than a conqueror. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. We stand on it this morning. We give you praise for it, God. And we ask, Lord, that you would help, it, help us to hide it in our hearts, that our minds will be set on the things above where we're hidden with you in Christ and God. In his name we pray, amen.